And I'd really, I think, like to begin with an offering of a, of a bow. Often when I would come into the meditation hall at Gaia House or a place where I'm teaching a retreat, I would take some time just to offer my respect and appreciation to the Buddha, this remarkable and profound human being, and the teachings that have come from the awakened one, the Buddha. And here, really, the Sangha, the community of, of practitioners, is what inspires me to bow, which is all of you, all of us. And so, um, this is my turning towards this evening's sharing of some reflections. And, uh, hmm. I see myself more drawn to look at your faces than to uh, engage in the content of the talk, but I'll get there. In a sense, for me, it's actually in line with what I'd like to speak about because there's a process of really wanting to include all of you in this process. And there's different ways that can happen. Bringing your voices in is one that we've done. But for me, it's actually also about bringing my attention, my sensitivity to all of you, not just collectively, but in a strange way, each of you individually. And uh, it might be strange for you that I'm looking around, but for me, it's really lovely. So uh, I hope it's okay. What I'd like to reflect on this evening could be framed as the question, and I think it's an important question for all of us as spiritual explorers, as practitioners of, of meditation, of the, the Dharma teachings of wisdom and compassion, or perhaps as someone who's just come to see what this retreat might be about, however we see ourselves, to ask ourselves what am I leaving out? We can ask ourselves this in a range of different ways. What am I leaving out? And I think it's a really important question and one that we can ask, that we can engage with, with a sense of interest and curiosity, not to see, oh, you know, I must be doing something wrong. I better figure it out and do it right. Not at all, but more to be curious because inevitably we will find we tend to emphasize one element or aspect of practice more than another. That's inevitable by our sort of individual inclinations. And we will probably also find ourselves drawn towards teachings and teachings that, that coincide with our own inclinations in that way. And the heart of the, the path of awakening is an understanding of what we call the middle way of coming to a balance, to leave nothing out, to include everything ultimately, is how we come into the fullest and deepest sense of balance. And so one way we can approach that, engage with that process is by considering what might be missing, what might be less developed and give attention to that. 
when we enter into the situation or the uh, retreats such as this, or we encounter teachings of meditation, often one of the primary things we attend to is the, the process of developing some degree of, of steadiness, of attention, the ability to direct our attention to a particular field of experience or a particular object of attention. We may use the breath or the body or a sound, different ways we can do that. And because this is something that isn't really taught or trained in our world, that at least not in the regular education system that most of us will have gone through, we kind of pick it up as this is what it's really about. It's just about focus. It's about getting our attention to do what we tell it, to steady, to stabilize. And of course, there's something incredibly important about this. It's, it's so supportive to us to be able to unify, to gather together the often disparate and disconnected elements of our attention and to be able to guide them and direct them in a kind but clear way to serve our inner development and our journey. And yet we need to hold this in balance with the sense of inclusivity. So easily we get into a struggle with our experience where we feel that somehow some of it isn't supportive or isn't allowed or isn't acceptable. And the attitude that nothing is unwelcome, which we've, I think, emphasized is something so important here. When I was reflecting on this evening, I was uh, looking for a particular poem I remembered from some years, in fact, decades ago. And while I was looking for that poem and I found it, um, I found another poem by the same, the same poet, a, uh, a woman who lived in Japan and they are, uh, the late 900s and early sort of 10th century, Izumi Shikubu. And one of her poems spoke to me in this. She said, she writes, although I try to hold the single thought of Buddha's teaching in my heart, I cannot help but hear the many crickets' voices calling out as well. And I think we, we know this, we see this turning towards the, the very important and beneficial training of steadying, of gathering, of collecting and the, and the discipline that requires. And yet to do so with an acknowledgement of, of course, we will hear the many crickets voices, the sound of the world, the sound of our inner life comes to us. And we might notice here whether we tend towards emphasizing unduly, oh, it's all welcome, it's all fine, yeah, I'll just let it in. And we kind of just dance with that, but also perhaps without really connecting, without any great degree of focus or steadiness of attention, but more just carried by the current of experience. 
or whether we find ourselves battling it, whether we find ourselves trying to contain the multitude of experience and in a forceful way, hold the attention in the place we've chosen or are endeavoring to steady the attention with, which may be the breath or the body in the ways we've spoken about or in other ways with the practice of, of kindness, friendliness. And just noticing for yourself which way one tends to go with that. There's a, a lovely quote from the, uh, the Buddha's teachings where, which are contained in what we call the, the suttas, the, uh, which is just uh, a word for the, it's really basically the, the sayings, the sayings of the Buddha. And in the, the language the Buddha's teachings were recorded and that's called the, the suttas, but it's just the sayings. Um, and he was once asked, how did you cross the flood? And this is the flood of reactivity, the flood of unconsciousness. And he responded, neither stayed nor struggling. That's how I crossed the flood. When I struggled, I was whirled about. When I stayed, I sank beneath the surface. And we have this, this finding this balance here. Oh, do, do I lean towards letting myself just be carried away? And then in a way we, we sink beneath the surface. Or do I tend towards a, a kind of a fighting against, fighting with? And that we find becomes incredibly painful. And what is helpful here is whichever way we notice, oh, this tends to be where I'm more commonly finding myself, or this is more developed. It's not about judging or evaluating ourselves at all. It's inevitable, it's natural. And it's absolutely fine that one aspect or another, we will find ourselves more inclined towards or more skilled and well-versed in practicing with. The noticing of it is to invite and allow us to consider how might I develop the other dimension, the other aspect of this. So if I'm very good with including and allowing, okay, is there room here for working with that quite directed intentionality? I'll focus and I'll come quite simply and steadily back to my chosen topic again and again, without exception. If one's really good at that, okay, what is it like to let my attention be open, be touched, to move, to be more fluid, to flow? Both orientations have their place and their power. It's easy for us also to, to kind of contemplate meditation, to think of it as something or to assume that it means sort of we're not supposed to be thinking. There's that great uh, lapel badge. I don't know if you've seen it or uh, it might also be a, uh, a bumper sticker that says, you know, meditation, it's not what you think. Now, I think that's true on lots of different levels, of course. We have so many sort of preconceptions about meditation. But one of the most common ones we have is the idea that it involves somehow getting rid of thinking or abiding in the state of non-thought. 
And as I often say when um, talking with people who are new to meditation, you know, there's there's an operation you can have that will do that. It's it's not what we're here for. We're not interested in a spiritual lobotomy. And yet, of course, we need to attend to the way in which thinking doesn't serve us. And we've talked about that in different ways, how we become lost in it, disconnected, when we lose that quality of presence, that, that embodied wakefulness through the way we engage with thinking. So there's a, there's a training to let go, to step back from thought. And yet as meditators, I think for many of us, we can then have a certain hesitancy or resistance to consciously engaging with it. And so one of the pieces we sometimes leave out is the contemplative element of, of practice, where I'm a meditator, I'm not into thinking, I'm here just to be present, to be awake, to be mindful. All of that is wonderful. But there's also this powerful and essential contemplative element that's here, that it's really important that we also recognize. And that's something that we bring in with the, the, the times of inquiry and exploration of just contemplating. So, so what does, what does value mean in my experience, for instance, as, as was one topic we, we brought and engaged with in that way, There's that sense of inquiring, that reflecting, contemplating a topic, skillful use of thinking is part of practice. It's not outside of it. One of the contemplations or one of the areas of contemplation that the Buddha invited us to consciously think about this regularly. So it's not like, don't think you're a meditator, don't think. It's like, consciously think about this, these five daily recollections that I think may be well known to many of you. But I find them so powerful, so touching to be invited to think about this, to contemplate it, not thinking about it in a sort of a distant or disconnected way, but to feel into what does this mean for me? You know, the first daily recollection is to contemplate that I, oneself, each of us, I have not gone beyond aging. I'm subject to aging. All of us, this is true for us. And the second, I've not gone beyond sickness. I'm still subject to sickness. And we see the impact of, of illness at this time, the, the impact in our world of a particular illness, so powerful and yet, in a sense, shocking. And yet the truth for all of us, we have not gone beyond illness. I have not gone beyond death to contemplate this, that we're not here forever. And we know this, of course, but to think about it. Oh, what does that mean? What's the significance of this? To pause and breathe. So the contemplation is embodied, involves presence and sensitivity. And if there's fear or unease that arises in response, to this, of course, being gentle and kindly and caring with ourselves and respectful, but also honest in that, ah, yeah, these are contemplations for every day.
And the fourth contemplation is to contemplate our relationship to things and people and situations. It says all things, all those things that are beloved and dear to me, one day I will be parted from these. All things, all people, all places, all situations that are dear and beloved to me. One day I will be parted from these. And to really allow that to be felt, to know, oh, yes, that contemplation takes us to a place of perhaps sorrow or grief. We may feel the tenderness of the loss that we've already known in our lives. And we may feel the the fear or the unease of the prospect of further loss. But there's something about it also that it's like, ah, oh, yes, actually it's true, isn't it? There's some relief when we just contemplate the truth. And the fifth of the daily contemplations, the Buddha encouraged and invited us is, to contemplate that we are the owners of our actions, our karma. That whatever we do is really the basis of what creates the quality of our future life. That whatever actions we undertake bear fruit in the future of the same nature and flavour as wherever our actions came from and our intentions. And there's, there's a, just in a simple recognizing, and we're chanting, with chanting the precepts every night, it's like this beautiful intention to refrain from causing harm, to, to orient towards generosity and respect and honesty and these beautiful qualities and capacities, seeing, oh, yeah, there's something powerful about this something blessed about this and these contemplations simple ways we can use thinking in a helpful skillful way that fill out our practice if what we find is that in contemplating this way we become overwhelmed or sort of agitated and distressed by those contemplations, then maybe it's important to, to put them down and stay with something more gentle, more simple, to honour and acknowledge the places where we may need to care for ourselves in relationship to our own experiences of ourselves or those near to us of, of ageing, of sickness, of death, of loss, of the actions that cause so much blessing can bring so much blessing and equally bring so much harm. Our actions and the actions of others. Understanding this is so. And again, just take, I invite you to take a moment to notice, to reflect. Okay, do, which way do I tend to go with my practice? Do I tend to emphasize mostly or primarily that kind of moving towards non-thinking? The elements of, of just the calming and quieting of the mind, which are so beautiful and precious. Do I spend more time kind of more contemplating? 
Is, is this something being left out of the other? And I don't know whether that might be so. But if we recognize that there are these, in a way, elements that we want to bring into balance, this allows the practice to deepen more powerfully, more fully. In the group meeting, no, it was in fact in the questions this afternoon. I was uh, having what for me was a very interesting exploration with, with um, one of yourselves around uh, stillness and movement and uh, the place of these and uh, the way in which, again, we might incline more towards one or the other. And uh, yeah, the lovely quote from, uh, I think, Leela's talk was referenced, or maybe it was the instructions this morning, that uh, stillness is one of the gates to the temple. And we can see how in meditation there's, there's a lot of emphasis towards stillness, the quieting, the stilling of the body. You know, we might see images of, of, um, of Buddhas such as... Uh, the Tara, this uh, feminine embodiment of awakening, and also this classic sitting Buddha image. And they don't move very much. So we think, oh, yes, yeah, stillness, not moving my body. That's what this is about. And it's sort of like you get extra points, we sort of think sometimes, if you can sit without moving. You know, how many of us have, how many of us have seen someone who sat there not moving at all thought, Wow, I can't do that. Or so seen someone moving a bit more than we are and think, oh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm, they're, they're kind of a bit sort of, you know, messy, aren't they? We make these judgments. We make these ideas about stillness or movement. And in some, some communities, of course, they see, you know, in some practice, the idea that you sit still, you don't move. That's crazy. That's madness. What's the point of that? And yet we understand here that there's something very powerful in stillness. And the practices that we invite and suggest, including practices of bodily postural stillness, but also movement, walking meditation, the qigong that uh, River was offering this afternoon. Practices we might engage for ourselves of yoga or for myself, I was out going for a, a run this evening, which I was very happy to be able to do because my body wasn't so well in the last few days and I haven't run for some time. So I was finding it hard work because of that, but actually just really enjoying that my body was well enough and finding that sense of what is it to be present in this while the world is moving past quite quickly compared to when I'm sitting in meditation. Stillness is absolutely one of the gates to the temple, but movement is another. And that's part of what I, I love in this image of um, Tara behind me, which I don't know how well you can see her. I hope it's not, I'm not going to try and pick her up and bring her over, but there's a sense of fluidity and movement in the image. And this is an awakened being embodied, expressed here 
in movement, perhaps even in dance, we might say. And that quality of, oh, okay, what does that mean for my practice? At times, stillness of body, at times, movement of body, at times, focusing the inner attention and sustaining it, perhaps on some point of the breath or some place of experience, at other times, allowing it to move, allowing experience to be more fluid, the attention to flow in an organic, undirected way. It's not so much about whether we're moving or still in our body. Or in fact, even whether the mind is moving or still. It's much more about this capacity for presence, for awareness, for wakefulness that can meet the movement and the stillness, that can embrace both those dimensions without being captured by the need for it to be this way or that. Without being coerced by our habitual reactivities and patterns and tendencies. So we can, we can look at this and again, just notice, where do I back away from? Where do I shy away from my experience? And classically, of course, we often talk a lot about opening to and being with and allowing ourselves to turn towards what's difficult for us. Physical pain, emotional distress, Agitation. So many experiences we can find difficult. And this is something that sometimes in our working with that, and it's such a powerful and challenging, but also beautiful practice to allow ourselves to be touched by, to be in the presence of, to not feel like we have to be always too close to what is difficult, but to be willing to turn towards it. And sometimes we need to find a appropriate proximity to be close, but not too close. So that means it's okay to step back sometimes, to give it some room. Sometimes when the experience is difficult, bringing the attention into the body, noticing where there may be that which is uncomfortable, distressed or difficult, and then making your attention a little larger to give it space, to give it room. So that we're including it, but not just this. And that can often support a, a deepening capacity to really meet the experience of what is painful or difficult, what is unwished for and unwelcome. And as we do this understanding and to, to really be aware of how easily the tendency arises at the thought that somehow this shouldn't be happening. It's only arising because I'm somehow doing it wrong in my life or in my meditation, or I've done it wrong and this is kind of my punishment. It's so not like that. 
the reality is for all of us, we encounter the difficult. For all of us, we encounter what is challenging. And so although the particular version of it that you encounter or that I encounter is particular to us, the fact of it is universal. And I think, again, this is something that you will know well, but it's so powerful, I find, to come back and reflect on this, just to see, oh, yeah, it's like that. And to see here in terms of the including, because for many of us as, as meditators, as practitioners of the, of the, the path of, of Dharma, of awakening, we kind of get that and yet then interestingly become quite hesitant or cautious about the other side of the spectrum where there may be more pleasure or delight or uplift or joy. It's like, can I allow myself to be as fully and deeply present with these experiences too? And often we can encounter, when, if we encounter sometimes something delightful, we can feel some sense of, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll get attached to it. And again, I was uh, conversing with one of you this uh, afternoon and that sense of, is it okay to let oneself enter into it and yes it is to do so consciously to notice the difference between when we try and take hold of it or start forming an idea that now i've got it now i'm going to keep it now i'm going to get it back as opposed to i oh, look what's here what happens if i enter this what happens if i allow this to touch me there can be so much healing and so much opening that comes from allowing that which is sweet or delightful or uplifted to come to us, to touch us. That doesn't mean we have to always be going looking for it or that somehow if we don't have such experiences, there's something going wrong because each of our paths looks different. But again, useful to notice. Some of us are kind of more easily drawn to say, oh, yeah, oh, it feels good. Yes, oh, I'm going to go with that. Others will have more the tendency, oh, it hurts. This has got to be good for me. I'm going to really get into this. Just notice. It might not be that for, for yourself, this particular pairing is where you find yourself in one extreme or the other. But for many of us, there is. And I think for myself, it's really clear. I, I initially in practice found it much more easy to kind of work with the difficult. It's strange, isn't it, to say it's easier to work with the difficult. It somehow fitted my idea of what practice should be about. And so, actually, there's a real challenge in going with what's comfortable sometimes for some of us. And to allow yourself to really seek nourishment, to seek uplift. If what's arising in your heart, what's there in your life circumstances, has significant degrees of difficulty, of challenge, of distress or pain, that, of course, it's so important to meet, to work with. But 
to support our capacity to do that, it serves us deeply to then include what is not that and specifically turn the attention to this. Sometimes it can be really helpful when, when we're not feeling well to just notice if there's somewhere that feels just neutral or okay. It doesn't have to feel great. And just include that experience too. Or perhaps to seek out, and for myself, I find so much nourishment in the natural world, just to go and be outside, to do standing meditation with a tree, or beside a stream or a lake or a body of water, or sitting equally in such a way. And if it's all quite smooth and comfortable, seeing, okay, what will stretch me? What will, what will maybe allow me to take it a bit further, a bit deeper? So again, in the service of balance, in the service of including more. We might notice the way we care for ourselves. Do we care equally for our body and our heart and our mind? Or do we tend to leave one of them out or more than one? Sometimes we can put a lot of pressure on our body, in our lives and in meditation practice. It's so important to really give consideration as part of my practice. Oh, what, what am I eating? How am I moving? What exercise or movement am I offering my body? How much care can I take with my posture to find a way to sit or stand or lie that feels open, supportive, contributing to well-being? Without having some idea that therefore it should all be comfortable or we're always going to feel well. This morning, I was experiencing some discomfort in my head that I can recognize as being the precursor for something that I've only experienced rarely, but when I have experienced was extremely intense, a, a form of a migraine. And uh, I imagine some of you have, will have had such an experience. Certainly all of us will have probably had some kind of difficult, painful experiences that we can recognize how there's both a, I don't want that, which is very clear for me, and the sense was, oh, I probably need to not be so much time on the screen at this point, because that's what I've noticed is a, what causes or can, can amplify that. A lot of screen time seems to be a, a factor in, in that particular contraction arising in my, my system. But at another level, I could feel I was a bit embarrassed. It's like, you know, is it okay? to admit, to acknowledge that I have this sort of kind of headache and so I'm actually going to spend a certain amount of the day not in the screen. And it's not that I had to verbally acknowledge it, but I was aware I was making that choice. Even when we ask you to, to be here as fully as you're able and, and just finding the way to, oh, okay, 
I actually, I still hold on, don't I? That's what this kind of, oh, I still hold this idea. that Somehow I have to be this sort of performance. I have to somehow perform good health, which of course I can't. None of us can. And, you know, coming back to, oh, okay, yeah, it's like this for me. It's like this for us, isn't it? And how we take care of our heart. Softening, opening. Practicing with forgiveness. With the practices of kindliness and friendliness. Caring for the tenderness we might find in our experience. We can sometimes have the idea that it's sort of a, it's a secondary practice or it's not the real thing. This was very common in the insight meditation world for many years. It still can be found expressed in that way. And yet the truth is that it's not. It's so important, so essential. And I think on this retreat, that's, you know, it's, 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 that, that message is probably well expressed. But again, just to notice where we have our sense of what we're including as fully. And this attention to the mind that we're giving, this heart mind, and actually I find it a more useful phrase than the way we tend to think of heart and mind as separate. In the, the Buddha's teaching, the word is used citta, which is this, in a way, organ, we could say, of sensitivity and responsiveness that we can call heart-mind. To give attention to the mind, to care for it, through training, through developing, through cultivating, seeing that it's actually a caring for our mind and our heart that leads us to attend to distractedness and to reactivity by training and steadiness in letting go and letting be. That this is a caring for our mind and ourself, equally as a caring for our world. And how do we engage in these practices? So again, the, the question is, you know, is one of these areas somewhere that I tend to leave out a little? Am I mostly working with kindness and not giving much care to that training of the mind for steadiness? Or am I mostly working on steadiness and not so interested in that kind, softening quality? Just seeing for yourself without judging. Again, it's so important. It's not about assessing. It's not about measuring. It's not about evaluating or judging in any way. Just noticing, huh, where is there room for more here? Where can I include more?
And there's different ways we can talk about this practice. We can talk about it as holding nothing and about as about including everything. And again, we might notice our, our tendency. Where do we go? Is it, is it the sense of sort of dissolving all the solidity and all the forms that draws us, that attracts us, that engages us? Is it more towards a sense of including, embracing? Li Po writes, who says, all the birds have flown into the sky. And now the last cloud drains away. We sit together, the mountain and I, until only the mountain remains. And this beautiful sense for me, it evokes of just the, the dropping away, the letting go, in a sense, the becoming nothing, holding nothing. And then Aizumi Shikibu, who I read a poem from earlier, she writes, she says, watching the moon at dawn, solitary mid-sky. I knew myself completely, no part left out. And she was known for being a passionate woman and a lover of the Buddha's teachings. And so here, for me, that that poem somehow came into my mind. In fact, that line, no part left out, when I sat down to think or reflect on what I might speak about this evening. What is this practice for us if we are to leave no part out? If we are to be interested to include all those parts, that we may not yet have fully included. All those ways we may not yet have fully traveled. To hold on to nothing is ultimately in the end the same as to include everything. And in this, we can come to know and to embody the heart that is awake and free in relationship with, but unbound by, the fullness and flow of our life. Let's sit together quietly just for a moment or two.
May we all in our practice together here in this retreat and in our lives, may we come to rest in peace and in wisdom amidst all things. May we more and more find this path of including all to leave nothing out and to find ourselves in the midst of life that is awake for our own welfare and for the welfare of all beings and all that lives.